Morning, Harvest Durham. All right, we all doing well today? Thumbs up, we're ready to go, we're getting ready to get into God's Word. Yeah? All right, there we go. Hey, listen, it's so cool for me to be back here. It's been, I think, like six or seven years. I remember coming a couple of times to preach uh, back in your first year or two. Ian and I, of course, uh, go way back. So very, very cool to be back with you and see how you've grown and see what the Lord has done here. Another kind of cool thing is Miles Holmes. You've all heard of him, right? He's actually, he's in Newmarket right now preaching for me. And at least one person's really excited that he's there. His mom goes to our church. And so uh, we're really thankful for Miles. It's actually, he'll be his second time with us uh, preaching to our church. So love you guys, love this church, and uh, super thrilled to be here. And hey, why don't you grab your Bibles now and turn them to Mark chapter 7. And as you're doing that, if you uh, forgot a Bible, don't have a Bible, need a Bible, we're going to have some uh, ushers at the back, I believe, are going to be making their way uh, up to the front and kind of looking for you. If you want to put your hand up, I think we have some Bibles that we would love uh, to give to you. And uh, if you don't have one, you can keep that. It's a gift from the church here. So I uh, would love you to have a copy of that. Now, um, I don't know when the last time was that you went to your doctor for a checkup. Right? I, I saw some of you kind of looks. Um, I went back just recently to my doctor for the first time in way too long. It's embarrassing, okay? But I went to, to, to just go get a checkup, see how things are doing. Wasn't feeling super, super great, so I just wanted to kind of rule some things out. And uh, for the most part, it was all good, a little bit high on the cholesterol for me. I'm trying to kind of knock that out. Uh, but what, I mean, what are the reasons why we would go to a doctor in the first place for a checkup? Probably a couple. One would be uh, we don't feel good, right? We're, we're sick. That's pretty obvious. And we're looking for, hey, doc, give me a prescription. Give me some answers here. Help me out. Uh, give me something to numb the pain and the discomfort and all of that. Uh, so maybe that's one reason you know you're sick. Maybe one is you kind of feel not that great, but not too bad. And so you're going to him um, to try and, again, look for some answers. Like, is there, is there something going on here that I need to know about? Or, or maybe you go, and it's just sort of like a yearly checkup thing for you, and you feel totally fine, but you want to make sure that you get that under your belt, and, and also just to keep an eye on things that might be going on kind of under the hood to make sure that everything is really okay, because sometimes things get out of line a little bit, and we don't even sense it. We don't even feel it, right? Checkups with your doctor, uh, they're a good thing. They're a good thing. Well, Mark chapter 7 really serves as a checkup of sorts for you and I. Um, only it's, a, it's about the condition of our hearts. Now, of course, not so much the physical condition of our hearts and how everything's you know, literally pumping and beating and all of that, but rather the spiritual condition uh, of our hearts. Okay? All through the scriptures, the New Testament and the Old Testament for sure, the Lord is consistent in his approach, in his message, that it is all about the heart, right? It really is. He's also very persistent. Maybe you've noticed this if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time. He's very persistent in coming after our hearts, isn't he? He wants you. He wants, he wants your heart, okay? He wants, to, he wants to expose that. You may be wondering, well, why? Why does he do that? Why is he so relentless? Well, because when he has our hearts, he's got us, doesn't he? He's got, he's got us, okay? So as we, as we look at this, passage today in, in Mark chapter 7, we're going to be asking ourselves a very direct question. Okay, we're not going to beat around the bush. We're not going to do anything like that. We're going after it here, and it's that question you see on the screen. Is my heart far from God? 
Is my heart far from God? Have I, have I drifted away from him in any way? Have I, have I become, I don't know, spiritually lazy as, as complacency set in in my relationship with him? Have, have I grown cold? Is, you know, is my walk really characterized more by legalism than anything else? Am I all about that? Have, have I gone even further into just straight up rebellion and sinfulness and worldly living and, and, and all of that? Right? Am I far from God? Or am I close? Do I even know? Right? Do I even have the first clue about these things? Yeah, that's why we're talking about those, these things today. Okay? It's, it's heart check time. It is today and it really should be really every single day for us as Christ followers. Okay? So before we jump into this text, we're going to pray. I would invite you to join me in your hearts as you do that. Let's give this time over to the Lord. Lord, we come before you and God, we just submit our, our, ourselves before you, Lord. We lay our hearts before you. We ask that you would move. We ask that you would work. We ask that you would heal and transform. God, I, I ask even foundationally, Lord, that you would save. Lord, I pray that someone today would come away with uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ where they did not have that walking in through these doors. Lord, I pray that, uh, that someone here today would see that uh, nothing compares to Jesus or that you went to the cross to redeem us, to save us from sin, Lord. That, that, that work that you have done, Lord, that is not something that, that we can do. We, we cannot behave well enough to impress you. We can't earn any kind of salvation from you. That was earned for us through Jesus Christ. Lord. And so I pray that, that you would do a work of salvation here, Lord. I pray for the rest of us as we are kind of struggling and, and tripping and stumbling along the way in what it means to to be made more into the image of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would take ground here today. Lord, I pray that you would soften hearts. Lord, I pray that you would renew our desire and our passion for the gospel, Lord. From that, I pray that our motivation would be to love you and to serve you and to love other people as well. And so God, help us today, Lord. We're at your mercy. Spirit, move, we cry out. Lord, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, Why? It's a pretty good question to start with, I think. Why does God go after our hearts? Why does he do that? Okay, why does he, you know, why, why should we check the state of our hearts so often? Why is this something that we shouldn't let go beyond, you know, more than a little while? Well, because in the, in the Bible, our heart is considered like our our central command, kind of our, our control center uh, for, for who we are. Okay, so when the, when the Bible talks about our heart and when the Lord goes after our heart, he's referring to the core of who you are as a Christ follower. The core of who you are spiritually. Okay, so it's where, think about it this way, it's where our, our thoughts and our, our attitudes and our desires and our affections and, and the motives for why we do certain things, all those things that lead towards action of some kind. It's where all of that originates. It's, it's, it's in our heart. Your heart, is, your heart is everything, according to the Lord and according to the Scripture. Okay? And if that's true, and we believe that it is, okay, then we really better be asking the question, how am I doing with all that? Right? Pretty important. So here we go. Here's the first thing, if you're into taking notes. Okay? Is my heart far from God? Is it far from God? Here's the first thing. It is if I elevate traditions and outward behavior over what God actually says. All right, now we're going to be working our way through 
Uh, This entire chapter here, starting in verse 1, so pick it up with me and follow along uh, in your copy of the Scriptures. Here Here it goes. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, that's Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Okay, time out for a second. Pause it right there. Okay, so, so Jesus, all right, he's already well into his earthly ministry. He's already, he's already come. He's kind of taken over from, you know, John the Baptist, you know, proclaimed that he was going to come. He's already gathered his team around him, the disciples, and, and he's been out there. He's been rolling up his sleeves, getting his hands dirty. He's been healing the sick. He's been, he's already healed the dead. He's, he's performed miracles already. He's walked on the water. He's, he's teaching his disciples. He's, he's explaining what the kingdom of God is all about. But right out of the gate, what ends up happening is the religious leaders of the day, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, they kind of come after him, all right? They don't like the message that he brings. They don't like him, and they don't like that other people like him. And so they come, they start challenging him, and it all seems kind of innocent at first, but it just continues to pick up steam in terms of uh, of intensity and and, and hatred and disdain. Of course, we all know where this ends up, right? It ends up with them killing him, crucifying him, Uh, on the cross, even though he was sinless and he was blameless. And so Jesus, before that time, up until that time, he keeps having these run-ins with the Pharisees and and the scribes and these leaders of the Jewish community. Now keep going, verse 2, because it says that they they saw, that's the Pharisees, they saw that his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, see that word there? Properly. It properly. Now, here's how they define properly according to them. It says there, holding to the tradition of the elders. Okay, what you might notice is it doesn't say holding to the scriptures. Okay, instead, holding to the tradition of the elders. Now, verse 4. And when they come from the marketplace, that's the Pharisees, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and, and dining couches. Okay, pretty hardcore about, about cleaning things. It says, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the scriptures? No, that's not what it says, right? Why do they not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? All right, so you getting this? All right, they were, they were very, I don't know, kind of OCD-like uh, about their very elaborate man-made traditions and, and rituals that they've, they've kind of created and adopted. They kind of borrowed it from the scriptures, like, but the scriptures don't really go far enough. We've got to add to all of that and kind of make it about this thing that the scriptures don't even make it about. Okay, and they're, they're, they're holding their own traditions above what God's word actually says. Okay, beyond that, they're absolutely appalled with anyone who doesn't do likewise. Okay, so they're like, why, Jesus, don't you do this? Why do your disciples not, you know, wash their hands and, you know, clean their dining couches and all their pots and pans, all that stuff like, like we do. Look how great we are. Okay, so you're getting a sense of the vibe here, right? And then it says here, verse 6, this is how Jesus responds. It says, and he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Okay, so now it's on, right? You can tell this here. He says, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If you're into like underlining or circling things in your text, do that right there. That is, that is key. 
right? Their hearts are far from me. It says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He says, you leave, or, or that's, a, that's abandon, the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. He's like, well, how? Give us an example, Jesus. He's like, all right, here it is. Verse 10. He says, for, for Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. All right, so just so we're clear, that's what the law says, right? That's what Moses said. That's the standard. That's what we're going for. Yeah, but then Jesus says, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, we'll explain that in a sec, but is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. It's like, and many such things you do. Now, Corbin, okay, Corbin's not really something that we're, you know, all that familiar with, but it, it just comes from the, from the, from the Greek word meaning offering. Okay, it's like an offering. So the, this was a very traditional custom created by, by the rabbis and, and observed by the Jews here that operate kind of like deferred giving. You familiar with that in today's day and age? All right, so, so a son could essentially um, defer, all right, or will his, his property to become the property or the ownership, uh, the property of the temple when he dies. Okay, so I've got this. I can defer to you. It's going to be yours, okay, when I die. But in the meantime, I get to, to maintain control over the property and, and these assets. Okay, it doesn't sound so bad, right? On the outside, it looks great. You know, it's, it's an offering. They're giving something uh, to the church. Right, the problem with this, though, is that this, this practice, which had become you know, a, a tradition and a custom, it, it would deprive the, the son's parents of financial care okay, while he was alive, while they were alive, which was the son's responsibility according to what? The law, right? According to the scriptures. Okay, so Jesus is, he's torching this tradition uh, of, of Corbin that the, that the, the, the religious leaders were holding to and, and judging other people according to as well, right? Because it was hurting families and it was, it was subverting the scriptures, right? This, this honor your father and mother. Hey, hey, remember Moses said that? Remember, it is written, like you're, you're rejecting all of that to, to, to carry out some man-made thing. You, you brag so much and, and front about how great you are about following the letter of the law. Guess what? You're not even doing that. You're, you're missing it totally. He says, many such things you do. Right? Here's just one of them. Okay, so this thing, I kind of think it was running rampant among the Jews, among the leaders for sure. And he says, because of this, your heart is far from me. Your heart's far from me. He's like, yeah, you look okay on the outside. Looks like you're just giving some offering, putting some money in the plate as it goes by. Nothing that anyone would see, you know, from the naked eye that, that looks out of place, but on the heart, on the inside, you're a mess. He's like, I want your heart. I don't want your possessions. I don't need your money. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything I, you have is mine anyways. On the inside, you guys are ice cold. Now verse 14, take a look at that. It says, and he called the people to him again. And now he speaks to them. So he's kind of done speaking to the, 
to the religious leaders and the Pharisees. Now he's speaking to the crowd that was, that was gathered. He said, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and, and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And so and it says, and he said to them, so now he's just speaking to the disciples, his inner crew. He says, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Lovely, right? Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the, what does it say? Heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Okay, so we can see this pretty clearly, I think. The, the Pharisees, the scribes, they were, they were militant. They were like soldiers when it came to observing, you know, these food laws and ultra strict about, about all of that, what they ate and what they stayed away from. Why? Because they didn't want to become ceremonially unclean and defiled. If you're interested in how do we handle that from a Christian perspective, I'd really encourage you to read the book of Galatians. Paul deals with a lot of that there, but Jesus is declaring here um, that the foods that go into your body, they don't make you spiritually unclean. It's just, it's just, it's just food, right? So the, so the basic purpose of these original Old Testament laws about sacrifices and certain foods and all of that was, was really instituted to give people a better sense of of what it means to approach a holy God, right? What, and what that's really all about. And so you had to take very great care that, that your sin was repented of, that you were cleansed of, of your sin before just entering into the temple to worship. And so they went through these, these very elaborate cleansing rituals and offering sacrifices to represent the cleansing of their hearts uh, from sin, and so listen, understand this. The overarching focus way back when in the Old Testament, when the law was distributed, the overarching focus now in, in, in this text that we're reading here with Jesus and the disciples and the Pharisees and all that, the overarching focus now for, for you and I, okay, the overarching focus of, of all of it is the heart. Okay, that's what Christ cares about. Where is your heart at? about how we approach the Lord. Okay, the Pharisees and, and, and the scribes, they were, they were completely missing that. They weren't all, you know, at all thinking about the condition of their hearts. They, they were completely sidetracked by what they were doing on the outside, you know, following rules, manufacturing traditions, looking good on the outside. It was about their outward behavior. It was about all of those things. And, and they were taking immense pride in it. They look what I've done today. Look how I'm giving. Look how I'm praying. Give me the seat in front of everyone so everyone can see how holy and pious uh, I really am. Okay, for them, it was just so all about this, this performance that they were doing. It was detached from a heart that, that loved the Lord and wanted to actually do these things. Their heart was, was, was cold and hard about all of this. And, and the, uh, the worst part of it is that they thought that it was, they were being impressive to God. 
They thought that God loved them more than than the next person beside them who didn't follow the rules as much. It led to this immense arrogance. They, They were so superior to others in their own mind, this elitism, right? It was, it was this burdensome legalism where they thought they had to, you know, follow every little rule in every little way, you know, to, to make themselves uh, loved in God's eyes. That's how they were coming at it. But it all led to this spiritual deadness, right? This disdain towards others instead of loving them. And worst of all, it culminated in a rejection of God and his commands. That's what Jesus says here. All the while thinking what? I'm good. Right? It's all good over here. I am the model of how things should be. Do you see that the spiritual blindness that had, that had covered these guys? They thought they were in the right, in the right place, but they couldn't have been any further from God. Now listen, if you want to think of an example from today's day and age, okay, because we're not exactly into offering sacrifices and cleansing rituals and a lot of that kind of stuff uh, today, but I would say if you're looking for an example, look no further than today's uh, church in Canada. Right? In many ways, we've learned to elevate traditions and certain models and, and certain ways of life uh, over and above what God actually says. Right? It's about entertainment instead of simply you know, opening up the word of God and just proclaiming what he says and what he thinks and what he wants from us. Oh, the, the church is starting to shrink. We better come up with you know, pragmatic and, and entertainment-focused ways of, of getting people in the doors. And so we, we end up rejecting what God tells us to, to make the church all about. It becomes super pragmatic and and, and, and instead of just, you know, God's people in brokenness and humility falling on our, on our faces and, and crying out to the Lord in prayer, God, would you do something? Would you grow your church? Would you build it? Left to me, left to any of us, this thing is going to fail. I think in many ways, churches have, you know, become distracted by, a, you know, this overabundance of, of wealth and, and things and and, and comfort, and we, you know, we've, we've kind of made it about that and building these little mini kingdoms instead of being a church that's just like all about and consumed with mission and, and sharing the good news with people and, and, and proclaiming the gospel and all of that. I think churches have elevated charismatic leaders who, you know, have a, have a real slick way of presenting things and, you know, ultra gifted, but, you know, maybe just an inch deep in terms of their, their character and where's the godliness and where's the humility and brokenness and all of that. Listen, when we elevate things like this and they become traditions and they become ways of life and just how we operate and how we we live as a church and it's above what God's word actually says, it leads us to a nation of Christians or churches whose hearts are where? Far from God. Now listen, it can be real easy for us to, you know, point out those those big C church issues, right? And yeah, yeah, the church, you know, does need to figure some things out. And man, I'm so glad I found Harvest. And, you know, we're trying to do some things right. And man, the, our country is a joke. And, you know, we get, we get kind of harsh about it. And we get really critical about that. And, 
And while doing that, I think it can be very easy to sort of absolve ourselves of of personal responsibility or any kind of personal reflection about the matter. Okay, so let me just ask you the question, how are you doing with all of this? In terms of your heart, is is it far from God? Because you've tended to put more stock in your outward behavior, your, your outward performance and your traditions instead of what God's really interested in. Which is, of course, the health of your heart, right? Now, what makes me feel a little bit uneasy here is I read through this passage and, and as the pastor uh, of a church, you know, is, is that, that God speaks most sternly. Jesus spoke most sternly with who? The religious leaders, didn't he? He holds them to a standard and he goes after them and he's, he, he's gracious to those who have won or don't know better. And so listen, Jesus, this, this passage, it's, it's for you and I. Yeah, I'm a pastor. Maybe you're a, maybe you're a small group leader. Maybe, maybe you're serving hard here and, and you're involved in, in, in leadership and you're you know, down the hall and harvest kids and you're preparing you know, curriculum and, and, and you come and you're setting things up and, and you're tearing things down afterwards, or, or, or you're an elder at this church, or maybe you're aspiring to all of these things, and you're kind of on a trajectory, and as you grow, and as you prove yourself faithful, people kind of have this track for you, and you see yourself uh, headed there. Listen, it's us Jesus is speaking to. Make no mistake about it. That's the parallel. And so listen, do not fool yourself. Do not make the mistake of thinking that just because you're leading here in some way, or you're serving in the church, or you're ultra involved, or I've been here from the beginning, or, you know, all of that stuff. Don't make the mistake of things just because you're doing all of those things on the outside, that therefore your heart is automatically uh, in the right place and close to God. And maybe it is. I hope it is. But are you sure about that? Do you know for sure? Remember, what you're doing on the outside, this is very important for us to remember, what we're doing on the outside doesn't always tell the whole story. Maybe you are ultra-involved again, but perhaps it's become kind of just tradition for you. It's become mechanical. It's about your outward behavior. It's about your performance. Meaning that, sure, you're leading, you're serving, but your heart's not exactly in it anymore. It's kind of drifted away. Maybe for you, it's, you've kind of developed this critical spirit and you get caught up in nostalgia real easily. I remember five years ago when, you know, those were the glory days of Harvest Durham. And I remember when, you know, there were more people involved maybe, or it didn't seem like such a pain to set up all this pipe and drape here and plug in lights and, and do all of this. And you're starting to grumble about it. But because we're Christians, we know how to fake all that junk, right? We know how to put on the face. God bless yous. We say all that stuff. But, in, but inside our hearts are kind of churning and and kind of in a darker place and, and far from him. Maybe for you, you're, you're like the, the ultra gifted person that the rest of us are just like, oh, you make me sick. Right? You're so gifted. You're so good at what you do that you've, you've learned how to kind of just mail it in. And you can get by on, on, a, on a sad lack of effort because you're so gifted. Like I, I've put together some studies before. I've, I've come and, you know, I've, I've done whatever it is your role is in the church so many times. I don't have to think about this. I don't have to prepare my heart for this. I don't have to prayerfully ask the Lord to fill me with his spirit and, and use me as I stand at the door and greet people in. I just come and I just show up and, and, and I do it. And I'm just sort of going through the motions here. 
Maybe for you, like you're technically involved in a small group and you're going and, and, and you hardly miss a beat with all of that and you come, you got your questions all ready and all of that, but, but you know deep down, okay, you know that you're not exactly leaning into deeper relationship with these people. For you, it's like, I'm gonna have all the questions answered so that I know exactly what to say, but all of it's just a veneer. I'm leaning away from people. I don't really wanna get to know them and even worse, I don't want them to get to know me. And so you, you've become cold in all of this. There's no authenticity. There's no vulnerability. There's no transparency in your relationships here. Okay, but in all these things, here's a couple of examples, right? We could go on and on and on with tons of them. It pro- the problem is you've, you've gotten dangerously comfortable with this whole mentality and this approach to the point now where it's simply become tradition for you. It's like it's autopilot, right? I just stick this thing in cruise control. I kick my feet up and, and off I go. No one's the wiser. Here's the thing, when, when, when you do that, you actually redefine what the Christian life is all about. And because of that, your heart's now super disengaged and disconnected from any real experience that you could have with the Lord through these things. And here's the danger here. Maybe you, maybe you know it and you're aware of it, but it's gone on so long that you just flat out don't care anymore. Or perhaps even worse, You've become so blind to this hamster wheel that you're on that you don't even notice and you don't care and you're just like the Pharisees and the scribes and you're like, I'm all good. Here's the thing, you've lost your way. Your heart is is, is far from God. Listen, church, listen, leaders in the church, even more particularly, if we do not push ourselves in this, if we do not allow our hearts to open up and expose our hearts to the Holy Spirit, allow him to prick our conscience, allow him to bring uh, conviction to this and, and direct our hearts and, and guide our church in all of this. Listen, what's going to end up happening is we end up atrophying spiritually. Our, our church begins to atrophy. Everything that we in the Christian life and, and our church becomes merely a shadow of what God intends it to be. And the worst thing of all is that God gets far less glory than he deserves. Listen, that's not just a, a thing we say. I know that's our, that's our mission statement, right? Glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's, that's it. That's everything. We don't take care of this and we don't monitor our hearts and take a look at that and do that checkup. God stops getting glory. And so what do we do, right? right? What do we do? Hopefully we've exposed the problem here, right? I don't just want to leave you, God bless you, off you go. No, what do we do? How do we fix this? Well, it's by doing a a deep dive into our hearts and and how it's functioning and how it's it's operating. Okay, so remember how our our hearts are like central command, right? It's where our our thoughts and our, our attitudes and our motives and our desires and our affections, which all lead to action, it's where all of that originates. So you've got to dive deep into that. Don't just look at, well, again, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all the right things. I can tick all the boxes. No, look into your attitudes and what's going on in your heart before you do all those things. So, like, think about it. I, yeah, I read the scriptures every day or most days. Do you want to? Do you, do you have any joy in that? What's your attitude about small group? Do, do you have any desire to, 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 to pick up a hammer and, and help build this church? Do you desire to do any of that? What's your, what's, your, what's your desire about this? Your thought, your attitude that's leading to the action that you're producing on the outside. Look beyond that outward religious behavior that, again, might be flawless. It might be perfect. 
and instead look towards that, that list that Jesus gives you here in, in the passage in verse 21. Right? These are the things that, that pollute us and, and drive us far from Christ. He says evil thoughts. It's the first one. What's your thought life like lately? What's your attitude towards people and towards the Lord? Sexual immorality, it says. How's that going midsummer? Theft. Murder. Jesus equates, you know, guilt of, of hating somebody the same as guilt of, of murder. What about adultery? Are you starting to go down a path here that it, it, it's, it's not leading anywhere good? It's just going to bring you pain. It's going to bring your family pain. It's going to bring shame to you and to the, to the name and cause of Jesus Christ. Are you starting? To, your heart is wandering. Take a look at that. What about coveting? I don't want the cottage. I want the boat. I want the bigger house. I want the, the list goes on. It's wickedness. It's deceit. It's sensuality. It's envy. It's slander and, you know, pride and foolishness. These are the things that they originate from within us. Those are the things that defile you and I. So what's the answer? Repentance. It's turning from these. It's confessing these things before the Lord. The answer is not behavior modification. Okay, well, I got I to act better next time. Oh, I made a mistake and I've sinned in this way. Well, next time I'll give her the old college try and do better. That's not what it's about. Your strength will fail you every time. It, it's repentance. It's, it's simply, I, I like to think of it as just inviting Jesus into the mess. Right? Like, Lord, meet me where I'm at. This is a disaster. I don't know where to go in this. I, don't, I can't fix myself. I need you, your grace. I need your, your mercy, your kindness, your wisdom and, and direction here. Lord, lead me to repentance for all those things that, that our foolish hearts get, get sucked into. And of course, it's a, it's a return to the word of God, right? Not traditions, not man-made rules and, or, or whatever traditional outward focus, behavior, and all the distractions that come with that that we tend to get preoccupied with and elevate over the scriptures. Okay, here's the second thing. Is my heart far from God? Well, it's not if I'm desperate for Christ's presence and power above all. Take a look at verse 24 with me. It says, And from there... He arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, so he leaves Galilee, and now he goes to the, the Gentiles. There's a bit of a shift in his ministry taking place here. Okay, first to the Jews, now the Gentiles, and this is what it says. It says, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. He was just far too popular, and, and word of his fame and the amazing, miraculous things that he could do, his reputation preceded him. Okay, and so they... They came to him, it says, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came, and look what she does, fell down at his feet. That's some desperation. Now the woman was a, was a Gentile, okay, not a Jew, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast a demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the, that the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the, uh, the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Now as, as we kind of read over that, 
do you find that interaction between Jesus and the woman a little bit interesting there? Right? The, the, the whole like taking bread from the children and, and giving it to the dogs part there, that, that's, that's referencing Christ's mission to come first uh, to the Jews and proclaim the gospel, proclaim himself as the Messiah. That comes first to the Jews. That was God's plan. To the Gentiles, second. So, so to the children first, then the dogs. Okay, now typically that, that word dogs there was, was a very derogatory term. And it was absolutely how the Jews thought of Gentiles. They're like, you guys are beneath us. You're gross, mangy, nasty street vermin, right? That, that, that's how they saw him, and that's usually how the word is used. But in this instance, okay, Jesus uses a very, a, just a slightly different word for dogs okay, in the Greek, referring not to those gross street mongrels, okay, but rather to like a, like a family pet. Okay, so if you're, a, if you're a dog owner, you can rejoice, okay? Jesus was pro-dog owner, all right? Okay, so when you, when you think about it that way, and you, and you look you, you look at it in that context, this woman's response is incredible, right? It, it, it's, a, it's amazing here because she recognizes the, the privilege and the position that Israel had to receive the coming Messiah uh, first, the gospel first. And so when she says in verse 28, yes, Lord, right? She, she's agreeing with him. Yet even the dogs, the, 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 like the family pet under the table, eat the children's crumbs. Hey, when she says that, she's showing uh, immense desperation to, to receive the coming Messiah and, and the, the blessings that he brings. Like, I just, I just want, I want something. I want anything from you. She, she begged him, verse 26 tells us, right, to, to save her daughter. The, the, the sad commentary here, if you want to look at it another way, is that, that, that she, a, a, a Gentile, right, recognized Jesus. She recognized who he was more than Israel did, right? Her heart was in, a, was in a much better place with God than the Pharisees and the scribes and, and Israel uh, as a whole. Now let's keep going here. Verse 31, it says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and, and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, which was just a group of, of 10 Greek cities there. And it says, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and a speech impediment. So there's another crowd that gathers around. And it says, and they begged him, sound familiar? They begged him to lay hands on him. And taking him, the man aside, from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure. Remember, this is Gentiles saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Again, another example here of Gentiles showing greater desperation for Jesus, his presence and his power in their lives. They get it better than the Jews do. Whereas the Jews seem much more interested in playing, I don't know, like religious one-upmanship and, and look how much better I am than you at, at obeying traditions and not even realizing how cold and, and how hard-hearted they were becoming in all of that. Right? The Gentiles, they weren't interested in playing that game. They didn't bring any of that baggage with them. No, they just wanted Jesus. 
They want, his pre- they want to be near him, right? The woman falls before him. These, the, the, this crowd brings the, their friend before him and, and, they're, and they're begging. It's showing us a picture of their, of their heart. They wanted his presence close. They wanted his power manifested. Understand this. Mark chapter 7 is a stark contrast of hearts. The Jews' hearts, so far that direction. So unhealthy. But again, the, the Gentiles, ironically, they understood who Jesus was. They just wanted him. They just wanted to be near him. Which is really what the Lord is, is calling each one of us to as well, right? So the simple question really is, do, do you and I, do we want Christ's presence? Do we, do we want God's power in our life above all? Or for you, has, has the Christian life become about something else? I just want to look good. I, I just want to sort of obey and check a bunch of boxes to sort of, sort of control God in some way, to keep him at base so that he doesn't go after my heart. Lord, look what I'm doing for you. Be impressed. I'm dancing a jig for you, basically. Now you, now you owe me the answers to my prayers, Lord, because look what a good little Christian boy or girl I've been. Your heart's so far from him if, if that's the case. We should want the Lord much more than we want to somehow impress God. Listen, you and I aren't very impressive, right? We're not. We can't, we can't do much at all to, to impress him. God looks at us so amazingly impressed because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. You understand that? As you, as you recognize the gospel and as you start to unpack and realize, wow, like I am, I am so broken and I am, I am so sinful, it, it shows, it, it puts a spotlight on, on how incredible God's grace is and how amazing his love is towards you. And I poured out that it starts to change our hearts and it starts to give us a desire to know him, to be closer to him and to follow him all the days of our life. Right? The gospel is everything in this case. And as that happens, as we start to want him and we desire his presence, more of his Holy Spirit, guess what ends up happening? He gets more glory. At my office um, back in Newmarket, I've got this, um, this like plank of driftwood. You know how that's kind of like the artsy, very Joanna Gaines thing? You have like a piece of wood and like written something nice on it or something. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone heard of Joanna Gaines? I went on a limb to throw that name out there. Getting, okay. Um, I, I've got a verse written on this, on this piece of wood, basically, and it's uh, from Psalm uh, 73, 28, and it's one of my favorite verses of all time. It says, just the first part of that verse says, but for me it is good to be near God. I actually love the NAS and how it says it. I like it even more. It says, the nearness of God is my good. Now, why do I have that in my office? Not because I really care about how it looks, but because it's such a good reminder to me of, of what life is really all about. It's about being near the Lord. It's a reminder to me because I'm so terrible at that. I, I, I so easily, I grew up in the church. I don't know, everyone's got a bit of a different story. I grew up in the church my whole entire life. I learned how to play the game. I learned how to walk through life and, and say all the right words. I had all the right answers. I did the Bible college thing. I, you know, I've done youth group my whole life. I know how to perform. I know how to behave. And in, in doing all of that, I know how to let my heart atrophy and become blah. It's very, very, very easy for us to do that. And so sometimes I walk in to my office in the morning and 
I've spent some time in God's word or I'm about to do that as I kind of fire up my computer and all of that and I happen to glance at this piece of wood with a verse on it and it's a reminder, oh yeah, it's not just about going through the motions here, man. Remember, it's about your heart being close to him. The nearness of God is my good. Listen, Harvest, if we want the Lord to be glorified above all else, I truly hope that that's our desire. As we grow and as we're failing at this, failing forward is kind of how I like to think of it. We're growing and the Lord is forgiving us and he's changing us and it's happening, you know, a lot slower than we would like to. Listen, as we want to see this work done in us, as we want to see it done in our church, as we want to see it done in this region and across our country, listen, we must have soft hearts that are close to his. So how's yours doing? How are you doing with all of this? Where, where are you at? Do a heart check today. Don't let this go in one ear and, and out the other. Don't do it. Do a heart check. Do it, do it now. Do it today. Guess what? Do it tomorrow and the day after that. Don't let time go on, time go by, where our, our heart has the, the, the propensity to, to harden and develop that, that kind of crust of, of distance between the Lord and that hard hardness where we want kind of what we want and we become you know, so easily fooled by the outward things that we're doing, but our heart is distant. Let's lay our hearts before the Lord. Let's ask him to do a great work. Let's repent of the things that have gotten in the way. Let's give glory to God in all of it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we've had to open up a great text and see, Lord, what you are about most of all, Lord. It's not about our performance. In fact, our performance will always fall short, Lord. It's your performance that we stand in. It's your performance that we rest in. It's, in, it's your performance, living the perfect life, dying dying a horrible death that, that was for us, Lord. Your perfect, spotless, blemished blemish record is, is, is ours now, Lord. Our, all of our sin and, and all of our brokenness has been transferred to you. And Lord, in that we stand. And God, I pray that as we think about thing, uh, these things and as we continue to submit ourselves before you, Lord, would, would you take over? Lord, would you insert yourself, Lord? Be bold in this. Do what it takes, Lord. Break us of pride. Break us of bitterness. Break us of whatever hard-heartedness, sin, idolatry, whatever it is that is getting in the way, that is hardening our hearts and, and separating us from, from, from real intimacy with you. God, I pray that you would do that here in Harvest Durham. I pray that you would do that in Newmarket, God. I pray that you would do that across this province and across our country as faithful leaders in your church open up the scriptures and proclaim it. As you take the reins, your bride, Lord, I pray that you would be honored. I pray that you would have your way. We pray this in your name. Amen.